you don't know me, uh, my name is Mo. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm actually the family pastor here at Cornerstone. And I'm excited. Amen. Thank you. I appreciate that. Hey. Uh, and one of the things I get excited to do and I, it, it, it's really to get to hear you guys worship. And if, if, you, if you were just where I was at that time, I, and I, mean, I know many of you were, just hearing the praises of, of God's people worshiping him. That, I mean, I don't know what it did to your heart, but it just started to minister to me deeply, didn't it? And so as we continue to allow God to minister to us, we want to do it through his word. And so we, we've been in a series of, in Proverbs, and so I get the chance to just share with my brothers Richard and, and, and John to preach God's word to you. So if you don't mind, why don't you please stand real quick as we read God's word. Now, I'm going through five passages today, amen, and so, um, again, don't get scared now, um, but one of the things I want to do, if you can turn your, to your Bibles right now uh, to Proverbs 17, 13, or your Bible app, whatever you have, I'm going to go through several passages in Proverbs. So if you can't follow along, don't worry about it. They'll be right here on the screen. Um, but Proverbs 17, 13 says this. It says, if anyone returns evil for good, evil will never depart from his house. Proverbs 20, 22. And if you're quick enough, I hear pages turning. Amen. It says, don't say I will avenge this evil. Wait on the Lord and he will rescue you. Then Proverbs 24, 17 through 18. Oh, that's a beautiful, uh, that's just so beautiful to hear those pages turning. Uh, it says this in Proverbs 24, 17 and 18. It says, don't gloat when your enemy fails and don't let your heart rejoice when he stumbles. Or the Lord will see, be displeased, and listen to this, and turn his wrath away from him. And look at Proverbs 24, just a few verses uh, uh, up uh, and tra- uh, or back or front, whatever it is, Proverbs 24, 28 and 29, it says, don't testify against your neighbor without cause. Don't deceive with your lips. Don't say, I'll do to him what he did to me. I'll repay the man for what he has done. Amen. In Proverbs 25, just a chapter over, um, it says this in verse 21 and 22. It says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will keep burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that we get to hear the wisdom that comes from you and not from man, God. God, prepare our hearts, Father, to receive your word today. Allow your Holy Spirit to move in such a way that we would obey you and reject any other wisdom outside of yours. God, I pray, Lord, that you would hide me behind your cross, Lord. And as I preach and as I teach from your word, God, allow it be thus saith the Lord. God, again, make our hearts uh, uh, malleable to you, Lord, and so that it would be uh, ready to receive and, and to, to accept thus what you have to say to us, God. Lord, I pray, God, that, Lord, you would transform our lives from the inside out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Um, growing up, I loved to watch action movies. And, and one of the premises, particularly in the 80s, when I used to watch action ma- uh, movies, was the premise of revenge. And now, you know, you know you know, those movies like Die Hard or something like that? You know, when a person, something happens to somebody's loved one or somebody was kidnapped. And so this dude goes all vigilante on somebody, you know what I'm talking about? And so what he does is, he, man, I don't know how he knows kung fu, but he does. Somehow he just, they mess with the wrong dude every single time in every movie. But what happens is this person goes after people, right? He, he goes after him and, and takes revenge on him. He seeks revenge. He, he tries to make that person pay for the crimes that they committed, right? 
See, we love revenge movies, don't we? But the reason why is because I think it resonates with us in the, in the sense that we like to see bad people pay for the evil that they've done. See, our hearts rest when we know that there's some type of payback or justice, right? I, I know this resonates with our hearts because we all have a sense of justice, don't we? We all want to see justice. We might call it fairness. You might use a word like karma. You, you might even spiritualize it and take scripture out of context, right? You know, the Bible says an eye for an eye, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Then you say, man, hey, do unto others as they do unto you. See, see, we want payback, but the question is, is revenge as satisfying as it seems? See, what's the end of our revenge? Just like in the movies, there's a ton of hurt between us and revenge. At the end of the movies, they ride off into the sunset, right? All happy, finding peace, right? But this, this is the fact of the matter. We don't live in Hollywood, do we? Our revenge leaves, is, is dangerous because it leaves bodies behind, bruised, bloodied, and without a sense of real peace. Lost friendships, hurt, disappointment, resentment, right? Regret and shame. See, nobody is happy at the end of the day. The problem is that we justify our revenge and don't understand that revenge is an unending cycle that will poison our hearts and continue to spread in our churches and our world. See, here's the thing. Hurt people hurt people unless we forgive, church. Forgiveness is an essential mark of our Christianity. See, the only solution is, is when we're hurt is learning to forgive us as we've been forgiven. Today, I want our ch- to help our church understand that revenge always hurts and forgiveness always helps. So we can live in a way that honors Jesus. See, we walk closely, we walk wisely in the world when we walk closely with God. Again, Proverbs is a book of wisdom that helps guide us through life. It proactively challenges our hearts by helping us see the issues and perspectives in our views. See, when we look in Proverbs, we notice we need to be careful how we think about revenge. We're, see, we're not vigilantes. Let me ask you, nobody lives in a Marvel universe, all right? You know what I'm saying? Nobody's out here Spider-Man. Nobody's been bitten by a radioactive spider, all right? So stop it. <laughs> but as we look at Scripture today, we see that God desires forgiveness and generosity, so you might not think you struggle with revenge. I, I know, I'm sure. But Proverbs will be a, a mirror to our hearts to allow us to expose the, the thoughts and false beliefs that we have about our sin. Our sin. See, never, sin never starts in our actions. It starts in our hearts. Look, look what Proverbs says. It says, don't say, don't testify, don't deceive. Look at Proverbs 20, 22. It says, don't say I will avenge this evil. Wait on the Lord and he will rescue you. Look at Proverbs 24, and, uh, verses 28 and 29. It says, don't testify against your neighbor without cause. Don't deceive with your lips. Don't say, I'll do to him what he did to me. I'll repay the man for what he has done. See, there's a lot of processing that goes on in our hearts before it turns itself into an action. See, revenge is, at, at its core is a motivation of our hearts. God wants to expose the intentions of our hearts and allow his gospel to transform our thinking and processing. That's why it's essential that we understand what revenge is and what it does to us. This brings me to my first point. Revenge always hurts. I remember growing up, man, we had a McDonald's uh, down the street from us. We would just walk in. One of my, me and my best friends, at least at that time, uh, I'll tell you why he's not my best friend now. Uh, but we, we used to go to that McDonald's. We used to pick up burger and fries. You know, that's what, that's what every uh, you know, high school student wants. That's all we want, burger and fries. Just feed my kids burger and fries. They'll love it. But here's the thing what happened. I mean, one time we went through a dinner rush. And so, you know, during dinner rush, everybody's around. You know, all, you know everybody's around. It was, like, crowded. And I'm like, man, hopefully they'll give us some free food or something. They'll hit a brother off with some extra 
fries or something. Um, but I remember, I, you know, in, back in those days, especially in the, in the 90s and the 2000s, for some reason we wore our clothes like three times too big, right? And so I, was, I, was, I, I wore a size 40 pants, and my waist was a 28. Come on, y'all. I don't know what I was thinking, actually. Uh, but one of the things I remember is that one, when we went to McDonald's, my boy told me to look the other way. And guess what? He pulls down my pants in front of everybody. Now, it wouldn't be so bad, but a brother of this kind of complexion needs lotion. <laughs> and so a brother looked all kinds of shades of gray. Amen. And so one of the things that, that was so embarrassing, so I was so mad at my friend. I was like, man, I'm going to get you back, bro. I can't wait to get you back. And I just remember, man, just, just, man, so heated. And I was like, man, I vowed to get him back. And I remind him till this day. I still haven't gotten revenge. I remind him till this day. I saw him a month ago. Brother, you remember that time you pulled down my pants? <laughs> till this day, I remind him, man. Like, I'm going to get you back. And he said, man, dog, you still remember that? I'm like, yes, I do. You would, too. So, so I, know, I know I'm being humorous about what revenge is, but revenge is demanding payback for a wrong or a hurt, right? You know what I'm talking about. When you've been hurt, humiliated, injured, cheated, you desire to pay that person back. You want to pay, you want to pay for what they've done to you. See, our world is corrupted by sin. Hurt will be a part of our lives, won't it? In some form or fashion. Whether it's a minor offense, like you cheated on a game of spades or something like that. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh, or you, you're a devastating experience, like you've been abused or, or neglected. People owe you, or, you, or you're going to owe somebody else. Somehow, you'll find, at the end of the day, that you'll find yourself on one side of hurt or the other. And you only have two choices, right? Those two choices are you're going to take revenge, make them pay for their debt, or you're going to forgive. But what does, forgiveness, what does revenge look like, and why is revenge so dangerous to us? First thing I want to make clear is that our revenge and God's revenge are completely different. You might notice it says in Romans 12, we just read that earlier, but if you look at verse 19, it says, God says, vengeance is mine, and I'll repay. But when we look at these scriptures, we see that God is telling us not to take revenge, right? Essentially, because there's two reasons. First of all, God is holy, and we're not. God is perfect. He's not corruptible. His scale of justice is always right. There's no margin of error when God wants payback. It's more than fair, right? See, we're not, we're not holy. And in, in Romans 12, God is telling us not to take revenge because our revenge is sinful. And we need to trust him. See, we demand more revenge than what actually is fair. See, God is also merciful. Secondly, God is holy and he exercises mercy at the same time. When, what is mercy? Mercy is when he restrains uh, himself from punishing our sin as it deserves. Yes, we deserve it, but God is patient with us, right? The issue, the issue is that he, he gives us a means of, uh, of opportunity to make payment. See, when we're offended by somebody, we, we tend to want payment now, don't we? We tend to want payment right now. We say, I got to get my revenge right now. We love those little instant karma videos on YouTube, don't we? You know, when that person, you know, he's talking smack, and the next you know he falls on his face. We love that because we love to see people who've done wrong get paid back. Listen, revenge is about somebody owing a debt, but at the core, it's an issue of pride in our own hearts. It's an issue of believing that the problem outside of you is greater than the problem inside of you. Our desire or motivation for revenge is typically not about justice and vindication alone, but it's about causing someone pain. It's about focusing on making that person hurt as much as we've hurt. It's not always about trying to help them see the sin in their lives and repent. 
Even when we do that, we kind of do that sometimes with the wrong motivations, don't we? Sometimes even when we do that, we do it, and it's not as helpful as we think it is. We're not trying to help them stop from possibly hurting others. You want them to feel the same pain that you felt. The problem of our, uh, our, one of our biggest problems is that we have a false sense of justice. We're truly blinded, and and that false sense of justice blinds us from the malice in our own hearts. When I say false justice, I want you to understand what I mean. Our our scales of justice are unbalanced. So y'all know, I mean, most of us are old enough, but nowadays in, in the doctor's office, they have these digital scales, right? these digital scales that we step on and give us our weight. But back in the day, maybe at some doctor's offices still, there's that little scale that you kind of slide the thing, you know, the little weights and everything. And so, you know, they'll slide the weight. If it's too much on this side, you're like, oh, it's, it's not the right weight. If it's too much on this side, ah, it's still imbalanced. It's kind of tilted. And then you wonder, and then when you get it perfectly, you wonder how, how you gain five pounds, you know what I'm saying, that kind of thing. See, here's the thing, that our scales of justice is, is tilted. They're never even. We always want too much revenge. It's like me. We want to make people pay for all the things that, 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 that they've done in our lives. Even worse, sometimes they can't even pay back what you claim that they owe you. We punish people. We focus on compounding the hurt. So you might be saying, hey, Pastor Mo, that ain't me. I'm a very gracious person. <laughs> Maybe you are gracious in many ways, to be honest. May, many of us are. But has there ever been a time with you withheld love from somebody? Has there ever been a time where, you know, even if, if you've got a spouse, you're sitting next to your spouse, where, you know, your spouse did something wrong, they made you mad, and you've kind of been like, mm, you know what I'm saying, gave them the cold shoulder? Has that ever happened to you? Was that forgiveness or was that revenge? Were you trying to punish them at that moment? I think you were. Here's the thing that even, even if, when we talk about our friendships, how many times have you been hurt by a friend or, 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 or something, they've, they've broken trust in some, some form or fashion? What was your response was it, hey, we're going to be really good friends? No, you, you got cold towards them, didn't you? You, cut them, you almost wanted to cut them out your life. And so how, how, how long did it take for them to earn back their friendship with you? What did it cost them to pay back that debt? See, here's the thing. More than likely, you, you have to understand that we determine what people owe. And it's usually not as fair as we think it is. Look at Proverbs 14, 12. It says, there's a way that seems right to a person, but in its end, its way is to death. We determine what's even. See, 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 that's the difference between justice and revenge, right? Justice has boundaries governed by laws or some set of rules. Revenge has no boundaries unless that person is perfect like God. And none of us are. Like I said, revenge is about pride. Typically, we don't understand how pride works. I think we think pride is only about us thinking we're better than other people. Actually, pride is us thinking that we're better than ourselves. See, here's what I mean. Pride is dangerous because if someone attacks our sense of worth, then we, we want to attack them right back, don't we? Our sense of worth is determined by something. For some, for some of us in here, it's our jobs. For some of us it's in here, it's our culture. For some of us, it's our looks and how we dress. And some of us, it's our, it's our beauty, whatever it is. But we try to determine our, our worth or we let other people determine our worth for us. Or what we let what they did to us determine our worth. Have you ever said, I can't believe this person has done this to me? Has that ever come out of your mouth? Have you ever said, I can't, let, I can't believe I let this person take advantage of me? Notice it's usually followed by some type of deep despair because you allowed hurt to define you. That's because our identities are tied to the wrong thing. Our self-worth is not found in what we determine or what others determine for us, but it's found in what God says about us what he thinks about us, ultimately what he's done for us. Our hearts are filled with revenge when we feel someone is threatening our security or self-image. 
See, they, we, we think they must be eliminated. The problem is that we're not qualified to define the terms of our worth, nor any other human is as well. None of us can define that. Only God can. Let me ask you some questions. Have you ever felt attacked when somebody gave you an honest critique in your life? Have you ever felt like somebody, man, why, why are they saying that, man? Why, who are they? Why, why did they get to talk to me like that? Have you ever, uh, hurt, uh, have you ever uh, when you were caused hurt by somebody, allow that to define your self-worth? Well, see, the first thing we try to do when somebody attacks our sense of self-image, we withdraw from them, don't we? Or we feel like they're trying to attack our self-worth. Our hearts grow distant. We cut them out of our lives. See, listen what Jesus had to endure. He was falsely accused. He was told he was something that he wasn't. He was ridiculed, laughed at. He was abused. All kinds of injustice were done to him. He was abandoned by his disciples, even the ones that said they would ride with him. You know what I'm saying? On the cross, he suffered. And for the first time, he was separated from the Father. See, Jesus knows exactly what it feels like to be hurt. But he didn't deserve it. But he paid the debt anyway. Friends, this is why we must understand that revenge is not the path for Christians. The redeemed don't need to take revenge. Revenge is always going to entice the sin in our hearts. See, taking the revenge is dangerous, and here's why. First, revenge always leads to retaliation. This is part of what I mean that when I say revenge always hurts. Revenge always leads to revenge most of the time. This can go on for years. Has anybody ever heard of the Hatfield and McCoys? Yeah, some of y'all probably heard about this American folklore about these two families that started beefing over really, honestly, it started in the Civil War, but it ended up being a beef over what? Over a pig who owned a pig, let's be honest. So for generations after generations, they got upset because of somebody's ownership over a pig. Let me start, let me, let me, they, they, they called, they, were, they did crimes against each other, they hurt each other, they, they, they tried to kill each other and shoot each other, all over a pig, and some, most of them didn't even remember why they were beefing. Because, but the beef started to compound, and people started coming at each other. See, evil doesn't disappear. It just spreads to the point of obsession. What I mean is that you start to fantasize about the downfall of somebody. Your life starts to revolve around paying them back. It becomes a driving force of your life. That's what revenge can do to you. Think about what it says in Matthew 5.38 on the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus addresses revenge. He says, the law said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. The intent of the statement was to restrict the amount of revenge a person can take from one another, right? The intent, see, that's what the intent was. That it would say that you can't do but this much to this person based on what they've already done to you. But see, here's what our sin does. It, it increases the conflict. What was supposed to be a restriction that ended revenge, people took as a license to go back and forth. One of the dangers of revenge is it begins also to, to treat our friends like enemies. We go all bad on people, don't we? Look at the warning in Proverbs 17, 13. If anyone returns evil for good, evil will never depart from his house. See, revenge can forget all the good somebody does to you, doesn't it? So as soon as we are offended, we forget that we're even friends. Has that ever happened to anybody in here? This is how we treat others. This is how we treat God. God has been good to us, but we reject his ways and return him evil. Look at the warning at the end. It says, evil will never depart from his house in your relationship with God. If we return evil for his good, it will infect our lives like like a disease. Our lives will become what? Self-absorbed. It's about our needs and only our needs. And when we return evil for the good that people do to us, our hearts will become affected as well. And ripple effects will affect our lives. We will chase only the things that will make us happy. 
that it doesn't matter if it's good or bad, but as long as it makes me happy, that's all right. Is that what God wants for us? No. He just, he's not after just us wanting to be happy. He wants our hearts. He wants us to submit ourselves to him. Another way revenge is dangerous is because it's, we start to see ourselves as superior to others. Look at Proverbs 24, verses 18, I mean 17 and 18. It says, don't gloat when your enemy falls. And don't let your heart rejoice when he stumbles. Or the Lord will see, be displeased, and turn his wrath away from him. See, in this text, it tells us that God will see the sin in our hearts and have mercy on our enemy. Now, that might sound weird, but God cares about the conditions of our heart. God cares about how our, our character. He, he, he cares uh, just as much about that as seeing the person who's done you wrong get punished for the, the things that they've done to you. He sees, see, he sees gloating and rejoicing the signs of arrogance and superiority. See, arrogance will blind us to the sin in our hearts. We boast in our enemy's downfall because we think that he got what he deserved or she got what she deserved. And guess what? That might be true. Amen? But God says he didn't rejoice in our sorrows, but through his death gave us joy in his sorrows. Here's a great way to gauge your spiritual temperature right now. When, when, somebody, when the person who, who's done you wrong uh, uh, fails, how do you respond? When the person who's hurt you the most fails, how do you respond? Here's another question. When they succeed, how do, you, how do you respond? How's your attitude then? We are Christians, as Christians, are recipients of mercy. We have to be humble in the dealings of the sins of others. We shouldn't gloat, but we should want mercy for them. Another danger is that our character can be da- damaged because we want revenge even if we have to sin to get it, right? Proverbs 24, verses 28 and 29. It says, don't testify against your neighbor without cause. Don't deceive with your lips. Don't say, I'll do to him what he did to me. I'll repay the man for what he has done. And saying this is, all he's saying is, don't trump up the charges. Don't don't trump up the charges. Uh, You see, they might have done you wrong, but you don't need to start exaggerating the truth past the truth. You know what I'm saying? You know, adding extra details, making them look more sinful, trying to talk behind their backs, trying to slander them in some form or fashion to make them more guilty than they already are. That's your sin, not theirs. See, we feel justified in our sin because somebody has done us wrong. We believe that the, 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 the means justify the end. Or the end justifies the means. The problem is, uh, one lie begins a series of deceptions and lies, right? Doesn't it? I, I've never seen one lie just, it just stop where, where it is, but it, it compounds itself. People start to lie on, on each other more and more. Here's the thing. And, and we start to think justice is served when we continue to lie and, and try to attack people. God is saying, keep your integrity intact. He's saying, trust me in this process and, and because your character is in danger. Lastly, I think this is one of the most extreme, extremely dangerous ones because revenge can, can be your false savior. Revenge, uh, in, 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 when we look at uh, Proverbs 20 and 22, look what it says. It says, don't say I will avenge this evil. Listen, wait on the Lord. He will rescue you. Most of the time, it's really difficult to trust God, isn't it? And, and, and this is the very pursuit of every Christian that we just want to trust God with our lives. See, revenge is about trusting in a false savior. Not Jesus. Friends, revenge will never rescue you. I hope you understand this. It will, it will never save you from the heartache and pain. It will do the opposite. It will compound the hurt. 
It leaves you with a guilty and seared conscience. It promises you rest, uh, peace, vindication, happiness, joy, and ultimately it won't deliver. You want security? We have to trust the only one who can give security, which is Jesus. God has provided the peace and the rest that we need through Jesus. But here's the thing. Revenge is going to be our heart's posture until we learn what it really means to forgive. See, hurt people hurt people unless we forgive. This is my final point. Forgiveness always helps. I mean, what... It means that that the forgiveness is the seed that is planted and grows up to help us, what? Trust God. First, I really want to start to help us understand what the core of forgiveness is for a Christian. The reality is that forgiveness is only realized in our hearts when we realize that we're forgiven. This is where it starts and it ends. The core of forgiveness is because we understand what Christ has done for us. This is probably why we don't see gospel-based humility in our, in, our, in, our, in, our, in our lives because people aren't living in light of the gospel in their own lives. They don't realize how forgiven they are. Look at Paul in Ephesians 4, 32. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. True forgiveness is expressing the gospel towards a person. This might make sense if I define forgiveness. Forgiveness is canceling a debt owed to you by paying it yourself. Some of y'all are like, ho, 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 hold up, Mo. What are you saying? I've got to pay the debt of, of the person who hurt me? I, I've got to take that upon myself and suffer that, that loss? Yes. And I'm not saying that in a joking way. We have to take that upon ourselves. But here's the thing. Debt doesn't magically disappear. I wish it did. Because if it did, a boy, I'll be in there. Oh, Lord, thank you. You know what I'm saying? Y'all know how it is. Debt doesn't magically disappear. And we can fool ourselves to think pain will disappear as well. That's what we call trauma. It doesn't just disappear. It changes appearances, folks. This is what, what we have to deal with. Here's the fact of the matter. When we've been hurt by someone, there's a debt. And someone has to suffer the cost of the debt. Either the perpetrator will suffer or we will forgive and take on those sufferings. That's the reality of it all. Listen, this doesn't make us happy. It doesn't. It's not supposed to make us happy. It's supposed to make us fruitful. Unless, they plant a, unless you plant a dead seed, there can be no fruit. Unless we die and are buried, there can be no resurrection. Church, if there's going to be a resurrection in your life, you have to die to yourself. You have to die to yourself. You have to take on the sufferings. I, mean, I said forgiveness expresses the gospel towards another person. So when we look to forgive, we're not looking at that person. We're looking at Jesus. Jesus came to pay the debt that we owed. Our debt was not just some wrapped up like student loans that we got. You know, we get a letter in the mail or we get a phone call. Don't act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about, church. Because uh, some of y'all know y'all have gotten those letters before. And you get it from Navient and you're like, man, I got to pay this debt. See, our, our debt of sin, is, it was a rebellion against God. It was treason against the king of the universe. If we were to get what we deserve, it would be eternal punishment and separation from God. This is a debt we could not pay in infinite lifetimes, church. This is the thing we don't, we don't get about our sin. is that none of us can pay it back. We don't have enough capital to pay it back. See, so that's the bad news. See, the good news is through Christ, God cancels our debt. Amen. He adopts his children, and he does this for one reason. 
because he wants you. I think we got to understand that. We heard that song earlier. It says he leaves the 99 just for you. Have you come to grips that God went to the cross for you? He wanted a relationship with you. He desired you. That's why he says repent of your sins. Accept who I am as your Lord. He could say he could be just our master, but he says he's our daddy, our heavenly father. He says we're his friends. Look at that. Look at the beauty of the gospel here. He purchased us back from sin and death. And this is why he, he, we have the power and the motivation to forgive. Because Romans 5, 8 says this. God proves his love for us because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the beauty of the gospel. It expresses why we are able to forgive. Jesus paid the debt by bearing it on the cross for us. That means we got to die to our pride, die to our superiority, die to our false saviors, ultimately die to our sins. The way we die to ourselves and to our sin is putting our faith in the one who died for us. Dying to ourselves is painful, church, but it will yield fruit. Forgiveness is remembering the extent that God went to forgive us. God gave us everything when he gave us his son, Jesus. He didn't spare any expense. That's how valuable you are to God. This is freedom because we don't have to withhold forgiveness because forgiveness is the only path to life and peace. Our hearts are free to delight in Jesus. We don't have to look to false saviors, but we can look at the one who is the Savior. Praise God. And we recognize that we are forgiven. Our hearts are filled with love and mercy. We know God is in control, and we begin to trust his power. But here's the thing. I want to make it really clear. That when somebody hurts you, that doesn't mean it's okay. That doesn't mean that we should be okay when somebody hurts you or sins against you. We sometimes think forgiveness is a way of tolerating the hurt that we've been caused. In all the case, let me be honest with you, the hurt that you've been caused was deliberate. It was evil. It was wicked. But see, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking you not to forgive. I'm asking you to forgive and not harbor evil in your hearts towards them. That's what I'm asking you. People deserve to be punished for what they do. That's that's the truth of the matter. I I know it's hard for a lot of people to want to accept that truth. But here's the point. This is the point I mean by by there being a debt. There has to be consequences for actions. Yet forgiveness is merciful and generous. We, we, We recognize the evil, but we want good for that person's life. We want them to repent of their sins and and change their ways. I think conflict in marriage is a great analogy uh, for, for revenge. A good marriage doesn't want their spouse to suffer needlessly, do they? A good spouse don't be like, hey, well, here you go. You better suffer this now. You know what I'm saying? You didn't did me wrong. Well, you're going to have to pay for it. No, a good marriage wants to see, see, see their spouse repenting of their sin and experience forgiveness that Jesus offers through each other. Listen, God would rather see his enemies repent than to punish them. Yet God will not ignore sin. This is why Christ died. He who knew no sin became sin so that we become the righteousness of God. He didn't ignore his, our sin. He placed it on the back of Jesus. Listen, if you've been sexually abused, slandered, cheated, defrauded, neglected, here's the thing. Those things were horrible. They were bad. They were evil. I'm asking you to, to, to confront those who sinned against you. We have to confront, but we also have to forgive. And that's when we get the peace, the rest, and the hope that Christ offers. 
Listen, we will not feel the effects of, of forgiveness until we actively start to forgive. And for some of us, I know this could be a long journey. So what does it mean to actively forgive? I think Romans 12, 17 through 21 has some great things to say about actively forgiving. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourself. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. If, if for, for in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Notice this is a direct quote from Proverbs 25, verse 21 and 22. There are four things I think this, this text can reveal to us about how we, should, how we should start the process of actively forgiving. First of all, we stop making people pay. Second, we start to make peace. Three, we start to trust God. Four, we start to do good. What I mean is to stop making people pay. If you're, if you're going to absorb the cost, here's the thing. You can't make them pay the cost. Amen? You can't continue to compound hurt about, uh, upon their heads. So I'm not sure what it looks like for you. One thing, what it means when it starts, we need to stop punishing them and be careful how we think about them and treat them. This text tells us to give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. The biggest challenge is, is carefully analyzing how our hearts and how we treat people uh, uh, in, in the actions that we do towards them. Here's a few questions that you need to ask yourself. Do you desire good for that person who hurts you's life? Do you want to be a part of seeing the, that, that good happen in their lives? If people saw how you treated them, would they think Jesus puts his spirit in people? Second, we have to start to make peace. This is tough because this means we, try to, we have to try our best to reconcile the relationship. It says, if possible, I love that caveat, if possible, then it goes on to say, as far as it depends on you, there are two things that will hinder reconciliation. If you don't confront and if that person doesn't repent. Or maybe you might need to repent. But see, Mark eleven twenty five says, we don't have to, we, we can forgive without repentance. There just can't be any reconciliation without repentance. You might need to repent as well, like I said. Yet the person cannot repent unless they come to the knowledge of their sin. Here's the thing that we think people know, that they know that they've hurt you. Some people don't even know that they've hurt you. Some people, we're holding them hostage and allowing them the process of, of, of receiving forgiveness by their rep- repentance towards us. In some cases, this can take years to happen. In some cases, it, 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 forgiveness is all you can get offered. There might not be any reconciliation. But we need to confront, at some, uh, at some level, those who've hurt us. Third, we need to trust God. Staring at Jesus will remind us the benefits outweigh the costs we incur. When we hurt, one of the toughest things is to, is to believe that Jesus, that Jesus has a purpose for our suffering. Remember, in both revenge and forgiveness, there is someone who will suffer. God has called us as Christians to suffer in forgiveness. See, I love what Diedrich Bonhoeffer had to say. He said, forgiveness is the Christ-like suffering which it is the Christian's duty to bear. Yet in this text in Romans 12, it goes on and says we need to let God do the repaying ultimately. We need to, uh, it tells us leave room for God's wrath. We have to understand when people sin against us, they ultimately sin against God. The idea here is that we allow, we allow God to deal with them. Our hope is that they will see a holy God and repent. 
That's the motivation for confronting them. We want to see repentance in their lives. We don't want them to be in a right relationship with God in in us. Then it says, by doing these things, we are heaping fiery coals on their head. I don't know about y'all, but when I read that verse for the first time, I said, man, that don't sound cool. You know what I'm saying? It sounds like we're still punishing them. But what it's saying is the good that we do uh, to those who hurt us will possibly give them a change of heart. They will probably regret hurting you and, and repent of their sins. See, that's the goal, like I said. See, we want to see them reconcile back to us and God. Wasn't it Christ's kindness that led you to repentance? Wasn't it what he did on the cross that gripped our hearts? What, what, wasn't it God being rich in mercy that made us run back into his arms? We offended him, but he offered forgiveness to us. All we can do is repent. God went to the greatest extent to offer us forgiveness. He gave his son Jesus Christ. It was a tremendous cost to himself. Yet if you were to ask God, is it worth it? What do you think he would say? To have fellowship with us. I love what Hebrews 12, 2 says. It says, for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. God said that you're worth it. He said you were worth going to the cross, enduring one of the most horrific punishments you've ever, he's ever faced. Or every human being has ever faced. Here's the question I have to ask you. The person who hurt, who hurt you, do you think they're worth forgiving? I guarantee God thinks they are. Because he already went to the cross for them. Listen, friends. I'm going to just close with two brief, just two brief applications. First of all, I want you to per- pursue forgiveness. It was Jesus who pursued us. We weren't, we weren't running towards Jesus, friends. We were running away from him. We were in rebellion to him. But he ran towards us. We did him wrong. He didn't do us wrong. He offered benevolence and and forgiveness. So we need to start offering that to others. That means we might actually actively have to be praying for ourselves and for that person. Let's start there, people. And you need to be praying for that person by name. You need to confess that to your brothers and sisters, that there's been somebody that's injured you. Don't gossip. You ain't got to talk bad about that person. Just say, I need help to forgive. Put the onus on you. Pursue friendships. Man, Christ died so that we wouldn't be just servants, so that we wouldn't just be looking at him as the master of the universe, though we should. But he calls us friends. You've got to understand that Jesus wants friendship with us, so we should reach out and offer friendship to others who've hurt us. This might be hard. For some of us, it might be, seem near impossible. But here's the thing. Jesus makes it possible through Christ. Um, God makes it possible through Christ. I think uh, when we look at what, what it cost God, what he gave us, he made all things possible. I love what uh, 2 Peter 1 and 3 says. He says, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's made all things possible in his strength, not in our own. So here's the thing, y'all. I want to I I I leave y'all with this. Listen, hurt people hurt people, but forgiven people always forgive. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your, your grace and mercy, God. We thank you for your love for us, God. We thank you, Lord, that you have forgiven us of so much, God. We thank you that you are the God who is benevolent to us, who has offered forgiveness to us, Lord. And, Lord, all we have to do is receive it. So, Father, if there's somebody under the, the sound of my voice, Lord, who does not know that forgiveness, Father, I ask that you come into their lives. They receive the forgiveness that you offered them freely, God. 
But Lord, I pray that they will realize that they have, they have fought against you. They have rebelled against you, Lord. And they have to repent of their sin. Lord, right now, if there's somebody like that, Lord, save them. Save them from separation from you eternally. God, I also pray for those in our, in our church that may, might be wrestling with the hurt that somebody's caused them, Lord. I pray, Lord, that they would look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith, Lord, and to, to reach down in the recesses of the gospel and forgive, Lord. God, I pray they can forgive. God, not just for that person's sake, but for their own sake. That their heart won't be turned wicked against you. They won't be tempted to sin against you, God. So, Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.